listening to My Life, My Say's podcast. For those who've heard my two introductions, I'll give it to you the third time as well. Uh, my name is Sozzy. I'll be your host for this evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Quarantine Question Time. It is so good to have you. And as you can see from the faces who are on your screen, it's going to be a really, really good conversation. Um, this platform, Quarantine Question Time, is hosted by myself and also by My Life, My Say a new digital space for young people to receive expert advice on coronavirus and its impact on young people. This show will take place every Thursday evening from 6.30pm and each week we will aim to bring together a panel with a broad range of views, knowledge and experience with panellists who are relevant to the big stories of debate of that week. Um, be all over your socials guys, follow us at My Life My Say on Twitter and be part of the conversation by using the hashtag QuarantineQT. We'll be following that hashtag as we take in your questions and engage with you guys online as well. Um, send in any question. I am not an expert. As you can see from the panelists, these guys will be taking care of questions. Um, so there is no silly question and your questions really do help us move that conversation forward. Um, so let's get in to our very, very special guests. They're just gorgeous sitting on Zoom. I've become Zoom master and I've not seen a more beautiful panel than this. So this week we are joined by Philip Glanville, Mayor of Hackney. Hello, Phil. Hey. Oh, hey. Oh, lovely. How are Excellent. you? Good, thank you. <laughs> I feel like I'm on some sort of quiz show. <laughs> It's not as fun as Mock the Week, I've got to be honest, you know, I'll try it. I'll try and do my Jimmy Carr, I'll try and come through with the bands. Um, we've also got Fatima Zaman, award-winning activist and advocate for the Kofi Annan Foundation. Hi, Fatima. Hey, Shwazi, how's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, we've got Matteo Bergamini, founder of the CEO of Shoutout UK, who does a lot of work on tackling fake news. So I'm, I'm excited to hear from you tonight. Hey, Shwazi, thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming through. Um, our wild card this evening is the one and only Guyanese Proud in the house. I see the flag in the background as well. Come through. We've got Jermaine Jackman, ladies and gents, winner of The Voice 2014 and also political activist. Good evening, sir. Good evening, sis. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good. Um, and we've also been joined this evening by Professor Tim Hubbard from King's College to answer a couple of questions about science, um, about the science of COVID as well. Thank you so much for joining. How are you? Thanks for having me, Swazi. I'm very well, thanks. It's also worth mentioning as well for the people who are watching, um, Tim got in touch with us today and said he'd love to jump in the conversation. So similar to you guys, if you've got um, something that you want to add, something you want to share, then get involved. It really is so, so lovely when different people from different worlds um, come together to yeah share on the same topic. So um, let me give you guys some ground rules and just really put together how this thing works. Um, so there's a feature for you guys who have logged in. If you see on the back, on the bottom of your screen, you've got a few functions. One of those functions is called raise your hand. Throughout the event, you will have the opportunity to make your own comments or ask questions to the panelists. And in order to conduct this in a fair way, I see what happens on TV. I'm trying to be out here, trying to be fair. Um, and to allow everyone the opportunity to speak, you will need to indicate by clicking the raise your hand function and then I'll call your name and unmute your speaker so that you can share. Um, give us your name and whoever else you wanna be talking to on the panel so that we know who your question's for and then fire away. And there's also a function called Q&A. So if you prefer not to speak, it's totally cool. You can write your question down. Um, just type it through the Q&A function on your screen um, and the chair of this will go through your questions and make sure, um, yeah, we get an answer for you as well. 
Um, there's also something called live polling. This is your third and final function. We'll be practicing democracy, guys, in action by giving you the opportunity to vote throughout the event. This will pop up on your screen when I indicate and all you need to do is vote. So please, please, please stay engaged. We would love to see your votes. Um, cool, all right, well that brings me very nicely to our first poll of the evening. Um, so our first poll is this. What worries you most about COVID-19? That is your poll. What worries you most about COVID-19? Um, some of these options will, will pop up onto your screen. So both myself and the panelists and you who've um, jumped in as well. So you've got job security as an option. Um, people coming close to me who are, who are at risk. Uh, my mental health, economic crisis, the strain on the NHS, getting ill myself, supplies and housing. Um, that's our first poll of the evening. So as you guys are voting and we're collecting the results, in about five minutes or so, but be quick with your votes. I'm gonna to turn to the panelists and see what they think will be the number one answer that young people will say worries them most about COVID-19. So let me go to Phil first. Phil, of those options, um, do you think one of them strikes you as the number one slot for young people? Uh, I think mental health. Yeah, good shout, good shout. Is that from experience, from working with people and being in the community, or you're just thinking it's a, it's a number one pick? So there's been a few conversations with the community and Hackney young people. So there's been one with the Youth Parliament, there's been one with our Youth um, Police Forum group, and a lot of people that are reliant on social networks for their sense of well-being and place, whether that's like statutory or whether that's working with community groups and organisations. Uh, while many of those networks are trying to build an online presence, um, it's not the same. And, uh, you know, we've all felt it. If you haven't seen your friends for a while, if you haven't seen people that have been offering you mentoring, um, people with underlying conditions already. So I think, um, especially for vulnerable young people, um, seeing all those networks um, be cut off is really having an impact on mental health and well-being. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Okay, mental health. Um, two weeks ago when we did the poll, that was definitely, definitely up there. Um, let me go to Fatima. Fatima, from those um, options, do you think uh, mental health will be a strong contender or is there something else that you think will hit number one? Oh, I think um, economic security. Um, not that mental health isn't important, but I think economic security. Nice. Nice. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of conversation around working. Mateo, you're nodding. You're nodding. Do you think that's going to be number one? Um, I think that's going to be up there, but I don't think it's going to be number one. Mine was kind of like a, a toss up between the uh, strain on the NHS and mental health. I'd say more towards mental health purely because of um, a lot of our work in um, schools that we're doing. Well, I mean, schools are closed, but like virtually um, with young people in schools, mental health keeps cropping up. Um, did before COVID-19, but now, now definitely more so. So I'd say mental health is probably the, I mean, it's weird to say winner, but probably the winner. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And um, for those joining us, welcome to Quarantine Question Time. We're doing our first poll of the evening. The poll is called, what worries you most about COVID-19? Um, it should come up on your screen. There's a few options and we're just asking the panelists which one they think will be number one. Um, let me go over to Tim as well. Tim, you're from King's College. Um, yeah, you spend a lot of time with people when, and hear from people. So I just wondered, what do you think may be number one for young people? I would have thought probably job security, actually, because, you know, many jobs are shut down right now. Um, the types of things students do, um, it's pretty tough. Mm, mm. 
I can see on the voting poll as well, guys, you've got 15 seconds or left or so um, to get your votes in. So get your votes in. We definitely want to see the results really reflect those who've logged in. Um, and Jermaine, last but de definitely not least, which one do you think may be number one before we take in the vote? I've got to agree with Phil and Matteo that it might be mental health. Um, a lot of the work that I do with the National Citizen Service, working with young people and the work in Hackney through the Young Futures Commission, looks yeah. at listening to young people and they are saying that mental health, being in a closed environment with my mum for so long is getting on my nerves or mm -hmm. not being able to go outside. This is, a, this is unprecedented times that young people have never lived through um, or experienced yeah. ever before. So it's about how do we adjust to that, but also how do we then uh, uh, go back into normal society? So I think there's a lot of worry about that. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, just want to shout out Mete from My Life, My Say, who's behind the scenes um, and definitely the brains behind this platform. So I think we can go live now with the results. Um, yes, okay, fantastic. Um, I think everyone, can everyone see? I'm not too sure. Um, number one is, ba 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 ba. Oh, it was close actually, economic crisis and people close to me who are at risk as number one. Wow, does that shock you anytime, Fatima? Does, you, does that come out as a, as a result you didn't see? I mean, well, I did, did predict it. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I, it doesn't shock me. If you think about it in terms of economic terms, young people are the breadwinners of the future mm -hmm. and we're facing a depression greater than the Great Depression. And this happened to us when we you know, had the financial crisis in 2008. And so it's yeah. natural for young people to be really worried. And of course, um, we are not immune. So I see why um, people who are close to me can be at risk is also a um is also a a, a a strong contender yeah no definitely right on the mark definitely um and mental health definitely is up there as well with 11 percent of people saying it's definitely going to make sure i just wanted to jump back to jermaine really is there anything that you're doing to um keep your mind busy keep yourself just yeah not climbing the walls any tips well you know this is the closest i've ever been like in close proximity with my mom for such a long time and she's starting to mm -hmm. get on my nerves frankly um, <laughs> i'm struggling with not going to the barber shop as you guys can see and i'm wearing my, <laughs> and my hair is not doing it today um but you know i actually enjoy my own company i'm a very independent yeah. person i go to the cinema on my own and i travel the world on my own and i'm just here with my desk i rearrange my room just for this uh <laughs> meeting because i don't want to see the mess but I, I'm keeping myself busy with my work, with my assignments, Zoom calls, chatting to young people, understanding what, what are they experiencing during this time. Um, and there's a lot of things cropping up. I think a lot of the time we forget that actually during this crisis, a lot of families are trying, are, are finding it hard to figure out, okay, what am I going to spend the money that I do have on? Mm. The bills, the food, uh, the rent. And the first thing that may go is Wi-Fi. Yeah. So now we're going to have a lot of young people in deprived areas and, and some um, well-off families too who won't have access to internet. So what are they going to do? How are they going to mm. access platforms like this? And how can we make platforms like this more accessible? Is there a deal that we can strike with uh, 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 mobile networks and, and Wi-Fi providers, BT Open Zone and things like that? So these are the things that we need to, to, to think about. And crisis has also brought up the inequalities that face uh, marginalized communities too yeah 
Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, we're going to cover a range of topics. So those who've come in, welcome to Quarantine Questions Time. This is the show that, um, yeah, is really unpacking COVID-19 with so many different people on the panel. Um, and so we've got Professor Tim Hubbard, a professor um, of bioinformatics and head of the Department of Medical and Molecular Genetics at King's College London. Well, that's a bit of a title. My gosh. <laughs> I think I did well. I think I did well to get you through. You did it well. I find it difficult to pronounce my own department name some of the time. <laughs> Just say it quick. Just say it quick. Um, Medical thank you so much. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining the conversation. We're going to go over to Matteo real soon to talk all things fake news. But before we do that, I really wanted to unpack the science behind COVID. So thank you so much for um, jumping in. We've got about three questions from those who've got in touch. So I just wanted to fire the first one at you, if that's okay. Um, yep. The first question comes in from John um, in Surrey. Hi, John. Thanks so much for sending in your question. He's asking you this. How do we prevent this happening again? Surely one of the key responses must be to deal with the source of any potential outbreak. Some of the most devastating pandemics in recent history include Asian flu of 1957-58, Hong Kong flu 1968-69, and COVID-19, um, which have all originated from markets in China and Hong Kong which trade in animals for human consumption. Would the panel not agree stopping problems at source has to be the most effective way to deal with them? And um, that's John from Surrey. So yeah, just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Tim. So it's true that the, there's a risk from those sort of places, but that's not the only place. And in fact, you can get these jumps from animals to humans pretty much anywhere. Of course, we had Ebola coming out of Africa. We had MERS coming out from camels. And these are actually more dangerous in, you know, they killed more people, you know, 10% for MERS and I think it was more like 40% for Ebola. So mm. actually it's not just, you know, saying that you've got to deal with places which happen to be in China and Hong Kong. It's actually a worldwide thing. And there are surveillance networks, but they need to be properly funded. And, you know, you've got mm. Trump now reducing funding for WHO. A lot of these networks are coordinated partly through WHO um, to have surveillance around the world. We're in a better position to do that because we can sequence these things and look for new dangerous viruses. That does happen. You, you may not know that there was a, an outbreak which looked like it was gonna be dangerous in Hong Kong where they killed a million chickens to, to, and that did briefly stop that particular extremely dangerous new flu epidemic. So there's monitoring going on, but we need a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Again, thanks to John for asking this question. Um, similar about just in terms of countries, Brian from Blackpool is asking, why are countries like South Korea and Germany way more advanced in being able to conduct more testing? And can we ever get out of this crisis without testing the public to the extent that we need to? Any thoughts so, on that one, Tim? So I think that we do need more testing. Certainly South Korea, was better set up because they had SARS. All those countries around there had SARS. And so they had to deal with it at the time and they built up testing capacity. And mm. it's just that it's, testing is difficult. Um, it requires machines, it requires reagents. And the, just the global supply chain for that is unable to cope right now. It's finding it difficult to cope. And so it's taking a while to scale that up in lots of different countries but yeah. we do need it. Yeah, amazing, amazing. 
Um, Helen in Wakefield says, why did the government act late if they knew that this virus was coming since November or December last year? How could we have prevented this? Well, I don't think we could have prevented it. Um, you know, this is a global pandemic. It's clear that it's, it's so easy to spread this virus. Um, and actually, we didn't know until January, at least, or, or late January, February, that it was becoming serious. So mm. actually, there hasn't been that much time. There is a lot of work going on behind the scenes to scale up. But it's true. Some countries were better prepared than we were here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the last question, sorry, there's four. The last one um, has snuck in from uh, Gillian in Doncaster. So I suppose this is where my absolute um, non-knowledge comes in, because I'm just watching the news and there was a lot of talk about um, the DNA of us and, and that we can um, get, get ill elsewhere that then triggers um, the other symptoms that COVID carries. And so similar to Gillian, I'm asking a similar question. Um, she says, what I do not understand is this. When restrictions are eventually lifted, what prevents the virus from spreading at that point? Will the coronavirus burn itself out or will it linger, perhaps having mutated into a slightly different version of itself? Um, and I think it's worth saying as well, I got a notification on my phone to say that the lockdown is extended for three weeks, but we know that at some point things need to go back to normal. So what do you think? Do you think that the virus will mutate or, or change into something similar? So the, mutate, the virus is mutating, but it's not mutating very much. Actually, it's quite frequent that these sort of viruses mutate to become less dangerous over right. time. Um, isn't always like that, but it can be. Um, actually, the main thing, though, is that, yes, if once we release the lockdown, it will spread again. But if you've got a much larger scale testing framework in place, um, you should be able to do what they've done successfully in, Hong, in South Korea, which means track and trace. Um, but you need the capacity for that, but that capacity is being set up right now. So I think we're gonna have to do that and we're gonna have to do social distancing to some extent as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and that's until we, get, until we get a vaccine. And the vaccine's gonna take a while. Right, right, okay. Um, so more queuing in Tesco in the queue line just to get into the shop, let alone doing any of the shopping. Probably. Tim's like, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Tim, thank you so, so much for joining the conversation. Before you leave us, we just wanted to ask you, um, what are you doing to, yeah, keep well? In terms of your well-being, could you give us maybe something, a top tip um, for those who are in lockdown? Just something from well, your experience. I'm in lockdown as well. So I'm doing all of my different jobs. They're all working from home. Like um, my whole you know, university is shut down. The only research that's going on is COVID-related research. Um, and most of anybody who doesn't need to go in isn't going in. They're doing everything via Zoom, just like we are now. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Professor Tim Hubbard there from King's College. Thank you so, so much. And if anyone's watching who goes to King's College, you should be very, very proud. You've got A-star guys in your places, man, teaching, teaching the real stuff. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. And uh, that sets me up really, really well now to get into some fake news. So before I go over to, to Mateo, um, I'm asking everyone, have you seen any crazy fake news story that you just thought, oh my gosh, are people just bored? What is going on? Have you seen anything crazy? Um, so as I give them a minute or so to think, maybe I'll come to Fatima first. You might have a crazy story. 
um, as Matteo preps his. Um, welcome, welcome to Quarantine Question Time. This is a platform, a digital space for young people to unpack COVID um, with some really, really amazing people on the panel. So if you've joined, get involved in the socials. You can ask questions and get them answered by these guys. Um, and so we're moving over to fake news before we hear from everyone in their, in their field of expertise. Um, but just wondered, have you guys seen any crazy stories before I hand over to Matteo? I've got one um, and hello to everybody online um, and this is more of a story that I experienced that I came to find out that it was fake news because I'm not as cool or up with fake news as everyone else. Um, I was walking down the street having my regular one hour exercise and somebody screamed at me saying it's 5G, it's 5G. I'm like I, I don't have 5G. I, I'm sorry, where is 5G? I, I could not understand and I had to ask my 17 year old sister what does what did this person mean by 5g and she said well you're clearly old <laughs> and she told me that apparently 5g towers are causing coronavirus and we have to destroy them all and i thought this is ridiculous so yeah that's what happened to me cool <laughs> i can see mateo just like cringing cringing on the screen we're coming to you bro we're coming we're coming um phil i wondered if you've seen anything on the timeline or been told or had someone scream at you any stories no, no screaming. I, I would agree with Fatima on <laughs> 5G. I, I think it's people are scared and they're worried. And I think mm -hmm. at times when people are scared and worried that they, you know, they get the WhatsApp messages, rumor mills spread. And some of them are based on facts. You know, there, were, there have been real challenges and I don't want to get um, really dark, but real challenges over one of the weekends a couple of weeks ago around burials um, uh, in London. And the community were being told that, you know, that, that they weren't going to be able to bury in the way that they wanted to within the Muslim faith. Um, that there was a shortage uh, uh, of body bags, that there were real, real challenges uh, around burials. But it became something um, far bigger than the actual thing itself, which was a problem in one place uh, and the problem of getting one death certificate from a, uh, from a doctor, but it had become, and suddenly you're getting WhatsApp, Facebook, a rumor spreads around that people are stopping Muslim burials or Muslim people are gonna be cremated. And then that, that can create such barriers to kind of engagement um, with councils, with the police, with medical services through fear. So I think there are lots of minor versions of the 5G tower thing. Sometimes they can start at a place of fact and then become a universal rumor incredibly quickly. Um, and, and that plays out um, at, 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 you know, almost every day. And I think that you saw that in the shortages and the kind of stockpiling yeah. and um, you know, what would lockdown mean? And I don't think any of us fully knew what lockdown would actually practically mean until we started living through it. But um, I think there's just so much happening. There's so much on social media and, and people are, you know, are genuinely scared and they go to their friends for, Kind of advice and i suppose the challenge for all of us is separating out what is true and what isn't what requires a response and what is what is something that we can just sort of calm people down and say you know that isn't happening um, mm, yeah amazing thank you so much for shedding light on that that's really um yeah really insightful thank you thank you um before i go over to mateo to dispel all these myths um jermaine do you have any stories for us do you have any fake news stories that you've stumbled upon i was about to to go through my WhatsApp and look at all the fake <laughs> See all the <laughs> aunties videos that have just come through, yeah, just like. Videos and, and <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's unreal the amount of fake news. One of my friends is actually um, works for Twitter and his job is solely to get rid of the fake news on Twitter. Wow, and he said that. this is a busy time for him. 
Um, but I have to agree with Phil and Fatima that 5G is the one that keeps cropping up. I'm seeing videos of 5G towers being burnt down in Birmingham, um, erected in South London, um, and everyone's saying, it's 5G, it's 5G. And I'm like, mm. to a point where I started to believe it, and I downloaded a radiation detector on my phone. <laughs> so <laughs> That's smart, man. My, You're smart. I'm, my, I'm not trying to tell, I'm not trying to scare any of the um, audience members, but I'm walking around my bedroom doing that. Trying to detect the levels in my in my bedroom. That's how much <laughs> the fake news has gotten to me, and that's the risk that it poses to many people around the country and around the world. That we start it starts to affect our behaviour and the way we think and the way we interact with one another. And that's yeah. why it, it's so critical that we need to curb this and start spreading mm -hmm. the real news, creating spaces where we can actually have the discussions about what is fake and what is real. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, um, yeah, go. I think the other bit that doesn't help is when you've got people like Trump going to a platform and, and lying and making up things on the spot. So that time when you'd have been able to trust leaders right. to tell you facts about a vaccine or a type of test, um, I think that undermines everything as well. And I, I'm sure mm. people all across the world are like, well, if I can't trust a leader, I'll trust um, that thing I've read about on the internet. And the whole kind of what isn't, isn't fake news. I'm sure Mateo's going to talk about it. But I think yeah. that's doesn't help either yeah yeah no no definitely um yeah great point and i think the 5g thing definitely made me say you know what that's not bad about the radiation detector you know i didn't even go that far ahead all i'm thinking is well this is radiation in my body and sickness so in my head it seemed you know plausible but we've got mateo here to dispel some myths and before we jump to you um we're going to kick off our second poll um the next poll that we're doing is this how often do you check the source of a video or article before you share it on social media? Be honest, yeah? Because if this comes out as always, listen, then my friends are lying to me. They don't check the source. Um, your poll is this. How often do you check the source of a video or article before you share it on social media? That will pop up and then we can take a vote. Um, ask the, the panelists as well. There you go. It's on your screens now. Um, four options, never, rarely, most of the time, or always. So one out of those is going to come up on top, I'm sure. Um, so let me go over to Mateo then, as you guys are voting and taking part of that poll. Um, bring us to sanity, please. What, what are some of the things that we need to look out for when distinguishing between real and fake news? So there's a couple of things um, that, you, that you need to watch out for. One, and probably the most obvious one, is the source of where you're getting that information from. Um, because, and obviously on social media, and it'll be interesting to see what, what the results is going to be from the poll, but one of the things that we often forget is that social media is, a, is an aggregator. You know, anything that you get shared online, be it Twitter, be it Instagram, be it Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever else, they, they're aggregating information. So all of that stuff comes from somewhere and some places are more trustworthy than others. And quite often when we see something, say on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, and we agree with it or it fits more into our bias, um, then we're less likely to scrutinize it and therefore share it. Whereas if something that we see we don't agree with, we're going to be more, more scrupulous to be like, oh, that doesn't seem like it's true. So it's important to one, understand the source of where that bit of information comes from. Is it from a genuine website? Is it from the who? Is it from the government? Is it from the BBC? Or is it from, I don't know, realnews.net.mov or whatever, uh, which probably is garbage. Um, mm. But it's important to check where you're getting this information from. And obviously, we're not going to do it every time because, let's be honest, we're all scrolling through our Facebook or Insta Instagram feeds or whatever else and we find things that we like. But if it's something that's going to influence your opinion or potentially scare you, it's important to click through and actually do some reading before you share it. 
Um, and secondly, yeah. and most importantly, is also being able to understand what your biases are. And I think everybody, anybody that says that we don't, you don't have a bias, you're lying. Everyone has a bias. And it could be something as innocent as saying, you know, if you guys ask me what I'm going to have for dinner tonight, what I'm going to have for dessert, I would love to have chocolate cake. Why? Because I like chocolate cake. So that's my <laughs> bias. If you ask me what kind of dessert you want, I'm going to tell you that because that's my bias towards that particular dessert, which is harmless. But then biases can come into things like gender, race, religion, or whatever else. And when people have those kind of biases, they're more likely to believe a story that pushes their view towards that specific bias. So it's important that we recognize what kind of biases we have and be more critical when those things come up. So if you, for example, I mean, Trump's mentioned a few times, if you don't like Trump and a story comes up that is negative towards Trump, it's important you read that more than someone that likes Trump. Because again, that fits your view, so you're less likely to criticize that story. Um, and there's a load of basic things you can do. You know, if you come across something on WhatsApp, for example, you can do a, rever a Google reverse image search to see if that, that image has been doctored. Or you can go on websites like Full Fact or Snopes, which debunk a lot of information. So for example, one very quick example was um, where there was that bit of um, misinformation around Obama wearing a ring saying that in Arabic, he'd said on the ring, you know, Allah is the only God or something like that. And that was being spread in the US quite wildly. Um, again, because there's a lot of issues around xenophobia and so forth in the, in the US, it kind of fitted into that bias. And of course, Snopes did a whole fact-checking thing where they got a load of Arabic readers and writers to read through it and so forth. And of course, they found out that it was just a squiggle. A nice squiggle, but it meant nothing. So again, mm -hmm. it's important to know where you can fact-check these things and understand that actually what you're reading may not be the full story. Yeah. So just give us your number one wild story that's made you roll your eyes till your head went back. What's the wildest story you've seen or heard? The wildest story? Oh, um, I would say it's probably uh, the 5G uh, COVID conspiracy. I um, had the, I'm not going to say pleasure because it was painful, but I ended up interviewing a uh, 5G um, conspiracy theorist yesterday uh, as part of some of our, our work. And my God, um, the story basically goes just very quickly is that um, coronavirus doesn't exist. Um, 5G is pushing out these rays called Corona. And that's the reason why people are dying. And it's a way for the government to kill people. And eventually when the vaccine comes out, the vaccine will be a way of killing people easier. It is of course 100% complete nonsense that has been disproven by professionals everywhere across the world. Uh, but that for me is the scariest because people that believe that are less likely to get the vaccine. Um, yeah. And that's gonna cause us a lot of issues later down the line. But that for yeah. me was, was a mental story listening to him. Yeah, amazing. What, what an opportunity even to have the interview, you know, that must have been so surreal. Um, also as well, guys, to you guys who are logging in and joining, this is a space for everyone. So when I heard the, about the 5G, I was like, oh, snap, like, let me get all of my electronics as far away from me because you just try and take every safety precaution, don't you? So it's really good to have you guys on call to just, yes, yeah, sift out what is wrong, what is right, what's true, what is false, um, because we're all in the same boat. We're learning together, aren't we? So, um, okay, so seven o'clock just gone. I need to get in the results. So the lovely, uh, oh, here we go. Oh, look at that. This is better than actual question time. Um, so number one is, the time lies 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 
Um, your question is, how often do you check the source of a video or article before you share it on social media? Um, and you guys, 40% of people have said most of the time. Well done, man. That's actually, that's actually a very, very good response. Below that is rarely. So people are being honest. Um, you guys on, on the panel, anyone uh, check their sources? Is that something that you're doing more of now, Fatima? That's definitely something I do. And it's not just because I, I want to, you know, um, pat myself on the back, but um, it is because we now live in the era of fake news and post-truth, whatever those things mean, that is absolutely crucial. We fact check our, our news. And when something is distilled into 240 characters at a time, it is not conveying the full and absolute picture that um, the source intended. And so when you cast a critical eye over, over the news sources that you get and dig deeper, you really get to form your own opinions. And it's about what Matteo was saying, forming your own critical opinions um, from having a diversity of sources. Um, and I, that's something I try, try to do. Um, and that's something that I've, I've always encouraged um, other young people to do as well, because ultimately um, truth is you know, as, as relevant and, and true as, as the source that it's coming from. So yeah. um, I'm proud to say that I do try and do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I need to add you guys to my family WhatsApp chat, you know, I don't think I'd be getting all of these photos and pictures that keep coming through. And um, okay, quickly, we're going to go around and just hear from people. So this half hour section, um, we're going to take questions from you guys who've logged in, if it's through the Q&A function, or you've sent them in or want to jump in the call, let us know. We would love to engage with you guys. Um, and just quickly going to go fire around to everyone and hear their areas of expertise in terms of unpacking COVID. Um, so let me start with Philip Glanville, Mayor of Hackney. Thank you so much for jumping in. Um, just really wanted to understand how does COVID look like in your world as someone who's got a responsibility and yeah, definitely in terms of with people, um, what are the, some of the things that you've been handling and yeah, and been doing recently? Thanks, Swazie. Um, one of the first things to say, there's a lot of questions in the Q&A that are quite medical and quite scientific mm -hmm. about COVID. And I don't think um, any of us know some of the answers to those questions. And I think people look to leaders, they look to people within their family networks and friends and assume that somebody will know the answer to that. And I think we, it's really important we say when we don't. Yeah. I'm incredibly reliant on experts. So as the Director of Public Health, uh, in, in Hackney Council, who liaises with the NHS, who liaises with GPs, with government, trying to get that best advice out into the community in Hackney and get the best advice for operating all the functions that the council um, does. So when we were kind of building towards lockdown, there were lots of discussions about, you know, could libraries stay open? Should leisure centres close? Is it safe for kids to go to school? You can know you have a really best advice. Sometimes that advice might not be correct. Sometimes, and I think we're going to have an investigation, aren't we, after all of this about what the government did and didn't do. Um, mm -hmm. But the first thing I'll say is I'm, like all of you and everyone else, reliant on the advice I receive. You can then use your professional judgment and your kind of gut about whether something feels right or not. Um, so one of the things we first um, got involved in was there were a series of calls with government around the idea of the shielded, which is now a term we all know. Five mm. weeks ago, we didn't know that there was going to be a group of people that were going to be protected and shielded uh, and how they were going to be fed, how they would get medicine, how they would deal with isolation. And one of the first things we had to do as a council was think about what would be our part in that shielding and right. thinking about the community that we have. 
um, the types of um, wealth disparity, the digital divide, the overcrowding, the different community needs. And uh, this is a big government program that essentially at the start of it delivered a big bunch of non-culturally specific food, non-dietary requirement um, accommodation food to people's doorsteps in Hackney. And we said, that isn't going to be good enough. And so we started to build a, a, a kind of humanitarian assistance network on top of all the brilliant mutual aid groups, like 7,000 people in Hackney mutual aid groups based on where they live on WhatsApp, trying to organize support for their neighbors. But that doesn't deal with people that are isolated and need that extra food. So we're now feeding about 1,500 households a week from that network. And I think that was something we had to put in place. It's happening all over London. There's amazing. different models. We've got amazing community organizations cooking for um, their kind of their, their communities as well. And I think that was one of the first things that we, we had to do. And our, our, then our second bit is supporting the kind of financial hardship. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's no surprise in many ways that that came out in the poll at the start um, uh, as one of the biggest issues. There were so many different types of Hackney community. There were people already in poverty and people that are now in sudden poverty. And they both need our support at this time. And getting the right measures in place for business, for charities, for individuals, meeting that, you know, can I eat today need, but then also thinking about the long-term support. And so we're kind of caught between coming up with our own solutions, implementing what the government's given us, uh, yeah. and then arguing back to government and saying, this isn't working for people in Hackney. So for a lot of the self-employed and a lot of the types of businesses that we have in Hackney, this simply doesn't, the packages of support aren't gonna work. Um, a really, really good example are the types of businesses that don't have a premises. Yeah. So if you've been doing catering, and you maybe have a market stall um, on a Saturday, you're doing community events, weddings, baking, um, you're doing quite well, you've been growing that business, you've got the Instagram presence and all of that. You've been operating maybe from home, you can't access a lot of the types of government support that are on offer because yeah. a lot of it is based about getting a business rate relief, um, getting a, a government-backed loan, or getting a grant from the council based on the type of business you are. Yeah. Jermaine, all of us will know people that have set their own businesses in Hackney um, mm. and, and just don't have that kind of resilience. And that, you know, when people are dying, that sounds like it shouldn't be our focus, but actually hundreds of thousands it's of people. definitely, yeah. Uh, and, and the council's role, I guess, is, is looking at that. And then there is obviously the support around health, providing information to people. And we've done a huge amount um, to make sure that we've got information out there that, that, that people need around, around support. And PPE, testing, care homes, uh, all the things we're, we're talking about in the national media are really important to us here. Actually, it's so funny you um, you mentioned care homes because you've got a question coming from um, Adam from London who lives in Hackney and he says, I'm really pleased that the mayor of Hackney has joined this call because I live in Hackney and want to find out more about how I can volunteer in my spare time to help support the elderly. Um, so thank you, Adam. Thank you so much. It's lovely when people jump on, particularly for someone who's on the panel as well. Um, so yeah, some, something along those lines, I think two weeks we had people saying, I want to volunteer, but I'm a little bit nervous because will I become a burden? But how do you volunteer well? Um, and how can you support the elderly as well? So we, we had a volunteer kind of website and phone number open. Um, we've just closed it, which isn't helpful for Adam because we had 1,200 people volunteer to kind of get wow. involved in 
the, the kind of council kind of response. And the, and the challenge with that is making sure that you look at what their skills are, what their capacity is, have they been DBS checked, what are they able to do? And we want to make sure that if we're deploying volunteers out, especially for the most vulnerable, so if we're talking about supporting the NHS, collecting prescriptions, befriending vulnerable people, that we're putting mm. them through some kind of process to do that. That doesn't mean that if you don't have a connection with a charity already, uh, or that you can't play a role in mutual aid or donating time uh, or money uh, online to kind of supporting that effort. But at this moment, we just want that first group of people that came forward early on to go through that process and make sure that they're, they're being partnered up with people that need the support and then we'll probably reopen it. One yeah. of the big challenges is the government didn't really think what they wanted to do with the 750,000 people that volunteered for the NHS. They're going to come through, yeah. Have been deployed and then they were going to hand over all the hackney ones to us and you know it just with the resources that we have available it's just not sim simply not not possible. Um, what yeah. I think is really, really going to be important, though, is, is creating that network of people that um, can, can do that befriending, do the prescription collection and food. Yeah. In terms of direct supporting kind of care homes and things like that, because they're effectively in an even more restricted form of lockdown, it's only going to be trained staff uh, and kind of redeployed people within the social care sector, the council and the NHS that's going to be providing yeah. support because we've got to maintain kind of infection protocols. The PPE should be that we couldn't provide people with PPE to do that volunteering because we're still struggling to get the supplies to the NHS and to the care. Yeah, system. I was actually going to jump over and, and ask that to Fatima actually and just talk about leadership because I know um, your background and your expertise is, is, yeah, so much to do with leadership, the good and the bad. Um, and it's lovely and just incredible really to hear from Phil and just know that there are people in your position who not only just care for people well but are in that middle ground between you know those at the top making those decisions but then bringing it down to communities on that level to make sure people like myself and others um, have what we need and feel heard when those decisions go to the top um, so thank you so much Phil and I just wanted to jump over to Fatima and ask about leadership then so yeah what what key attributes should we be looking for in our leaders because sometimes we don't see it always um, and so, yeah, just wanting to hear a little bit from, from you in terms of yeah, good leadership, bad leadership. What does it look like? Well, wow, tough question. And um, <laughs> I wanted to look justice. So I think I'll break it down a bit and I'll start with the bad. Now, we've had Trump mentioned a few times. I'm not going to labor that point at all. We all know he's demonstrating severely bad leadership at this point in time. However, he's not the only one demonstrating bad leadership. You know, um, there, there's Bolsonaro in Brazil, there's the Iranian regime who denied that coronavirus was a real threat and a real health issue until it was too late. And then you've had, um, you know, um, others um, demonstrating equally, um, you know, flippant um, comments and, and not following the science, as, as um, the professor mentioned earlier. Um, but then you've got some really, really good pockets of leadership. And I want to draw those out. Um, what we should be looking for is, is people who are being honest with their publics about yeah. what um, they should be doing. Um, people who are empathizing. So I think what's really important in, in courageous leadership during a time of crisis, because leadership during a time of crisis is not the same as crisis, um, leadership 
every day because we can kind of accept less um, every day, but we really want the best from our leaders um, in the present time. And I would have to point out Jacinda Ardern, for those of you who do not know, she is the Prime Minister of New Zealand and everybody will know because she acted swiftly when the um, New Zealand terrorist attacks happened and she did the same thing for COVID-19. She shut down the country, she got support to everybody, she got the information out and her response to a journalist asking her, what do you say to the people who are not practicing social distancing? She gave an honest answer and she said, they're all idiots. <laughs> and you know what, I respect that because she said, you know, you're an idiot, you're putting everyone's life at risk. So you, right. can, see, you can see you've got the COVID-19 deniers, the ones who want to pass blame, that is ill, um, that is doing harm, not just now, but harm for the future. And you've got, you know, the Prime Minister of Norway, the Prime Minister of Denmark, all who happen to be women, by the way, who have taken a very decisive leadership. But at the same time, you've got local leaders. Um, and what we all should be looking for is asking ourselves, how can I lead for myself, for my household, for my family and my friends during this time? And that's putting a note up if you live in a communal area or a communal building saying, if anybody needs food, ring this number. So to our Hackney um, young leader who, who asked a question to Phil earlier saying, what can I do? If you can't volunteer formally, there's definitely something you can do um, for those who you live, who, who you live with or live around. Um, checking in on people, making sure that we're actually um, coming together, even though we can't physically be together. Um, this time has made me realize how many people across the world are alone. And um, that is, you know, incremental leadership at its, you know, um, most, most basic level. So at the top level, mm -hmm. you've got taking decisive actions, being very clear and being honest and transparent with your public. And that's the most important thing because people want answers and people will demand them. So you better start giving them something. Yeah. <laughs> what a strong speech. I feel like I should give a round of applause or something. Oh, like, oh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Fatima. Um, Jermaine, you were definitely nodding along. I don't know if it was because of all of the, the female leaders or because um, everyone can play their part. Um, but just wanted to, to touch base because yes, you are someone who always, always uses their platform um, to make sure the right message is, is heard or is spread. And you always, you know, want to make sure that you're part of that conversation as well. So at, at, a, at a local level or even um, an online level where people have just got platforms and just got the spaces and, 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 and things to say. Um, how important is it to show good leadership, even if you're just one person? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's very important to show good leadership to just to cover what we've been speaking about today and um, to dispel fake news um, and to support one another. Um, a lot of people are thinking, OK, I can't really do much or I can't really leave the house. I haven't left the house. I haven't left the house maybe what? two, three times in the last month and a bit, mm -hmm. partly because my mom is at risk for, um, from getting um, seriously ill, so I don't want to put her at risk. I'm even scared to go for a jog. So what can I do? And I put out a video of me singing on Instagram a few weeks back, just because it was, it was a, a song that was on my spirit. And the amount of organizations that reached out to me, hi, could you do singing lessons with some of our young people online? Could you send our care home a, a specialized uh, video? And I've been doing that all for free and uh, rightly so, <laughs> but I, I realized that I'm playing my part. I'm using yeah. my talent to bring joy to those people. Uh, another thing that we can, we can do is call our friends, call the people that we haven't spoken to or that we just see in passing a lot of the time. During lockdown, I have connected with, it's, it's weird to say this, People who I would consider as close friends, I feel like I've gotten even closer with. 
I found mm. out that oh my best my my cousin is friends with your cousin and like I I, I started to find information that I never knew I I didn't originally know and yeah it's a great thing because we've got house party now we've got other forms of of communicating as well and I'm always on house party follow me you guys ain't following me already <laughs> but it, it, it's been an opportunity for us to connect and for us to come yeah. together um a lot of the work that I do when I co-chair the the Hackney Young Futures Commission alongside um with the work with Phil is looking at the lived experiences of young people what are they experiencing at this time and over the past year I've collated evidence from young people about their lived experiences about what is it that they that they encounter? What are the issues? What are they? What do they like about Hackney? And you know, they love the outdoor spaces. They like the events. Uh, they like um, free Wi-Fi. They go to McDonald's for the free Wi-Fi. And, and I'm just thinking, the not, young people around the country and around the world can no longer access these things. So how can we support them during that time as yeah. well? Um, and you know, when we think about overcrowded homes and inadequate housing. Um, again not, not every home has a garden so mm. how do we support young people during this time i'm very passionate about young people and ensuring that their voices are heard so how do we get young people around the decision making table what does it yeah. take for the government to do a young person's q a i think it was i can't remember uh which prime minister did it. i mean, it might be the prime minister of sweden where they did a, a young person specific q a about coronavirus and that's leadership that's the type of events that we need to be having because young yeah. people feel like they're out of the conversation. Yes, some young people might be vulnerable, but they're not pensioners. Mm. And when we talk about, oh, this billion and that billion, and young people just feel so locked out of the conversation. Talk about what I'm going through. Talk about my mental health. Talk, and yeah. talk about how I wasn't even ready for my last day at school. Talk about how I'm now getting predicted grades as my qualifications. Talk about how... I'm now being discriminated against. So these are the issues that uh, a lot of communities are facing and nobody, especially through the corridors of power, are talking about. Um, yeah. And just talking about the government briefly, because I use my online profiles to, to blast the government, blast everyone else. Um, we have a government here in this country who started off with herd immunity. Now, I'm here to spread fake news, but I just feel like they didn't act quick enough. If they had put things in place, we wouldn't be seeing the numbers that we're seeing. Every single time I go onto Facebook and I go onto Twitter and I'm seeing another person or another set of people have died, it breaks my heart every single yeah. time. Yeah. More so because I know that these could have been preventable. If, the, if our government acted quick enough, they wouldn't be dead. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point yeah. that loads of people have made in terms of how quick the government responded or even in comparison to other countries around. Um, and, and not to cut you, we're definitely coming back, but Caitlin's on the line to jump in the conversation as well. Um, Caitlin, are you there? We'd love to hear from you. Hello? Hi. Hi, Caitlin, I believe you're from Norway, are you? From the Northwest. Oh, the Northwest. It's, it's as far as that. It's okay. We'll, um, <laughs> it's international. We're international. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining in the conversation. Have you got a question for us? Yes. Yeah, so, um, obviously, the main focus of education at the moment is on year 11s and year 13s, which is completely understandable. But I'm in year 12 and we're having to, like, do so much of the content from home. And obviously that's going to affect our exams. So is there anything that we can do about that, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, yeah, Caitlin, thank you so much, so much. So you're in year 12 and what happens now? Are you getting um, online lessons or what does it look like? We're just being emailed like a lot of work to do and just being like left basically. Wow, okay, okay. Um, yeah, great question, great, great question. And it is that, that ground, isn't it, between not being in year 13, so, so uni is that year away, but also just having done GCSEs and then A-levels. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe Phil, do you have, any, have anything to share for this one? I think there's just so much in just this one topic to kind of unpack. Yeah. You know, we, no one knew that night that the announcement that schools were going to close. I had primary school children, parents talking about how literally people suddenly realised they were never going to go back to primary school possibly and saying goodbye to their friends for the last time. So some schools putting on effectively like end of year kind of events where, you know, the type of stuff where people take photos, sign each other's shirts, all of that kind of stuff, through to that deep fear of people that were about to go into exams about what their futures are going to hold. And, and, and a moment um, where, which can affect the rest of their lives. Now, I'm, I'm always about second and third chances, so I don't think anything that happens is irreparable. But actually, these are real moments, as Caitlin's been talking about, that can have that lasting impact uh, at yeah. in people's education. And we're doing some work at thinking about disproportionality on different groups because the digital divide of what education experience different young people are having. There's people that are kind of have got parents that are like all over it. You know, they're, they're getting them up for Joe Wicks in the morning. They're doing the online lesson. They're reading every email from school. And then you might have somebody who's got parents that are vulnerable, that are mm. ill, um, have other caring responsibilities that simply... Um, have real challenges uh, or there may be an overcrowded accommodation Jermaine talked about that earlier so if you've got uh, three kids in in temporary accommodation they're all trying to use one device they're not doing that they're not having that experience and I think there's a big concern for me about the, the, the disproportionality around what lockdown actually means for different people um, yeah. uh, with their resources and so I think every year group is going to be facing a really different set of challenges we wrote to uh, all schools and students. I think there's a role for school councils. Yeah. You know, nothing stop a school council meeting in a time like this. Nothing stopping a youth parliament. Mm. Um, all governors, um, you know, people like that should be asking the questions. What is the school doing to make sure that people aren't being left behind? Um, none of us know when schools are going to go back. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's all of our jobs to put in the best support that we can uh, around that. But I, I really do Amazing. worry about the you know transition periods so six to seven yeah a level that first and then off to uni as well yeah yeah no definitely thank you thank you so much uh we've also got kira on the on the line as well um kira you wanted to jump in and ask a question are you there oh hello hello kira how are you, Where hi, are you uh, uh, yeah i'm from epsom in surrey oh hi and hi Hi, and I just wanted to ask, um, how has everyone been inspired by the British public and how can we continue to boost morale in society, reaching number five in lockdown? Amazing, amazing. Yeah, let me shoot that over to Matteo first as well, because as much as I've seen fake news has absolutely drenched the timeline. There's also been lots and lots of amazing news just, just flying about as well. Um, people doing drive-by birthday shouts, people doing all sorts. Um, so yeah, how can we be encouraged by this time, especially, um, yeah, lifting our spirits? Have you seen anything? 
Yeah, no, of course. I mean, there's 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 good and bad, and there's I mean, there's there's silver linings to everything. And the one thing that um, COVID nineteen has definitely done, I think, is brought a lot of people together. Um, like Jermaine, I think, is talking about you know talking to people that you that you haven't spoken to in ages. I um, did a quiz with some of my family here in the UK and in Italy. Like we we hadn't all spoken together like that in ages. And apart from having to translate the quiz into two different languages simultaneously. Uh, <laughs> other than that it was great and it just lifts everyone's spirits um you know the, the clap that's happening i think it's tonight at eight o'clock like just it showing is. solidarity for the people that are literally fighting to deal with this and tackle this i think is is massively inspiring yeah um, but not i mean you know there's there's um i think it was a story also of a i think it was a deputy head teacher uh, that went around delivering food to um, his students that couldn't afford to, um, that, uh, obviously couldn't afford to to, um, to eat. So all of those kind of things really kind of warm the heart and realize actually, you know, that we are coming together. Uh, yeah. but not just in the UK, like there was a um, quite a funny story that I heard from um, from Italy as well because my family are over there, so I'm um, keeping in touch with them quite a bit. Um, of like um, a load of old people coming together on the balconies and playing um what was it called uh, like bingo together with one of them <laughs> holding a megaphone yelling out the numbers and then chucking cake at each other they just cook like people are coming together in a very very different way um so yeah having balcony parties um and we really hope that these kind of things stay isn't it you know there's been so much good that has come out of this situation as well um, and I just wanted to jump over to Jermaine really and just just talk about what's been in the news recently it has been a lot of conversation around those from ethnic minority backgrounds but there are a lot of conversation also about um, the kind of fabric of people who are in jobs that take absolute determination absolute just love and compassion um, resilience and strive and so yeah, in terms of community spirit, that I think that is definitely something that will will ride out regardless of of what's happening, even if it is a, a really sad time for people. Absolutely, and even just thinking about those frontline staff, even at a time where they might be scared of even catching corona, they are still turned up to work every single day, every single shift, keeping our country running. And that's why at eight o'clock we go out and we clap for them and we clap for those who are still in our schools looking after our young people. Um, there are some amazing stories. Even this morning, it was the 99-year-old veteran who walked around his um, garden. Uh, yeah. I, have to, I have to agree with Jermaine. <laughs> Tom Moore, everybody. Tom Moore, that's his name. This is it, Tom Moore. And, and we need to be sharing those stories. Um, yeah. Community, community groups who are um, handing out food and supporting, um, and councils are supporting those community groups, handing out food to vulnerable elderly people who can't really leave their homes. We have people who are sending out songs to care homes and, and to call in, but also think about the things that we can do, uh, mm -hmm. the great stories that we can, we can tell. I, I, I've started doing mo motivational spe um, speeches for organizations, their little Monday morning meetings, and I give them a speech mm -hmm. and I said to them, what is your story during coronavirus? What did you do? How, what was the role that you played? And I think yeah. that's what we need to be asking ourselves, what role can I play in this we need to be sharing more we need to be more kind to one another because we're all in this together we are all yeah. suffering through this together this is our combined and united struggle so we need to be together through this and that's the only way we can get over this hurdle mm. drop us the zoom link man monday morning we're, we're locking into you we need the we're coming for your motivation speech 
Uh, we've also got Romilly on the line as well. We're going to um, open up our Q&A session real soon, but we thought, let me just sneak in another call. Romilly, hello. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for joining the conversation. Let us know your question. Hi, so it's kind of following on from what we've been talking about, about mental health. So it's just like, how can young people deal with the media negatively impacting their mental health? Like, there's been a lot of articles about schools reopening. It's a lot of, like, stress for me and I think a lot of others. Yeah, yeah, great question. And where are you from? Hartlepool. Hartlepool, lovely to see you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, great question from Romilly asking, how can we keep our, um, yeah, mental health in check, our well-being in check? Um, especially as there's so much going around on social media. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll open it up to the, to the panellists for this one. Anyone want to jump in? Thank you, Romilly. I think what um, Romilly sort of continued on the conversation we were having and there's a danger that people feel they have to be sort of heroes. I think we've all got to remember that everyone needs to step back and, you know, even our heroes in the NHS, you know, you know, we, I follow several doctors in Hackney that some people know, like Dr. Robs, they step back, they go for a run, they, talk, they go and do something else. And for all of us, whatever part we're playing, you don't have to be on three, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And living, given we're living so much by social media, there's a danger that um, we could all think it's about, you know, baking, selfies on the balcony, what you've cooked and actually not being able to talk about our true feelings and how yeah. things are playing out. So I would just encourage everyone at that very basic level to not think everyone's okay and it's okay to feel worried, it's okay to talk about anxieties and you know all of the perils of Instagram and Facebook where people either putting you know their, their very best slides forward and then everyone will assume that people are, are fine i think there's some good online materials good thinking um, i would hope in hartley pool like elsewhere there's a good hub that the council's running or the school's running that's got resources on it as well um and it's just really i think it's just really important that every, everyone's in the same boat everyone will share that anxiety and just you know talking about those feelings yeah I just wanted to jump over actually, Joe Smith has responded and said, um, in Brighton, lots of people are growing vegetables, sharing seeds and plants, um, and also enjoying peace without cars and traffic noise and hearing the birds. It's like the old TV series, The Good Life. But also I thought, actually, let me jump off Joe, anyone watching anything good on Netflix right now? Just any, any um, recommendations? Because people are, people are watching films and you've got house party, people are watching together. Mateo's hand is first up. Go on, give us your, your recommendation. It has to be good, though. Oh, it is. If you haven't started watching Money Heist, you've got to go on it. Really. <laughs> Jermaine's face. <laughs> Jermaine, are you not I'm, a fan? I'm, I am over Money Heist. My sister keeps singing the, 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 the song over <laughs> and over. It's driving me crazy. I can't. I, I can't. Um, but I'm too busy doing, sorry to cut into you, Mateo, but I'm too busy doing uh, university assignments. And, and it's difficult to really focus in your bedroom because I get distracted. I'll turn on the TV or go downstairs and I've realised that I'm gaining weight. My face is looking a bit chubbier than usual um, because I'm snacking on it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not watching Netflix. Okay, Money Heist is, is maybe one of those. So yeah, guys, drop them in your comments. We would love to know what you guys are watching. Um, we've got a question in for Fatima. Um, someone's asked, anonymous person has asked, what is your honest opinion about the lack of PPE? And do you feel the government's lack of leadership, funding and management has directly resulted in people's deaths 
Um, or would you class this, oh wow, would you class this as manslaughter? Big question there. Oh, thank you, who anonymous sender. Um, look, I, I don't want to be negative about it. Let's be honest. Our NHS was never built to deal with a pandemic, let alone, you know, um, future pandemics. Um, so the lack of PPE does not come surprising to me in the sense that Nobody expected COVID-19 to happen in 2020. I don't have a, you know, you know, a magic ball to tell me that. What I am, you know, um, curious about is how do we move forward? Evidently, this has shown gaps in what we, what we need to do for our, our NHS. And even as a service user, I've always thought the NHS would always be there, but I would always complain about the four hour waiting queues and, you know, not being seen or not getting the blood test. And that's made me reflect, actually, wow, I am so privileged that I can actually make that complaint as a service user, as service providers. We all need to reflect on how we have used, abused um, the NHS. And this is not just about the government not providing what is necessary, but absolutely agree that PPE is a requirement and steps need to be taken to provide our health workers who are our heroes with that equipment. What I will say is what is now needed for the NHS is realizing that actually building the resilience of our health system, making it equipped, future-proof, not just for the health needs of today, but the health needs of tomorrow is what uh, whoever runs on that slate, I'll give you that for free, you will get my vote because what coronavirus has shown us is that our NHS is not equipped to deal with this. We were not ready um, and COVID-19 is not the first of the global pandemics we will see. I'm going to link this to climate change um, very briefly and, and a friend of mine actually I was having a conversation and he was telling me that COVID-19 is a dress rehearsal for what is to come. As we abuse our earth, as we continue to live these consumptuous, um, without, you know, um, disposable lifestyles that we have in the UK, in the West, um, and across the world, and as consumerism has, has turned into greed, we really need to reflect on how we come out of COVID-19. Do I really need to buy those 56 loo rolls because, um, or am I depriving somebody else of that? So I kind of um, wrapped up the, my answer in, in something broader, which has been niggling away at me, and what I really wanted to come onto this panel to talk about is that COVID-19 has shown flaws in so many things that we have been taking for granted and it is up to each and every one of us to challenge, to solutionize um, and to come together and, and to ensure that actually we are doing our bit for our societies and our communities and not just pointing the fingers to blame um, and absolutely when we come out of this crisis um, I will definitely be writing to people like Phil and above um, to say local health heroes need to be given the recognition and, um, and support um, that they deserve for what they've done for us because this is absolutely um, wartime success is, is, is what, how I'm going to phrase it. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing everything. Yeah, totally. And and I just want to say as well, when we, we, we clap on Thursdays, yes, we clap for our carers, but it extends to everyone who's playing their role. For me anyway, I'm, I know we, we clap for those on the front line, but someone like Phil, someone like anyone who's got a job, if it's like Tesco or people who are delivering and teachers, you know, we clap for anyone who absolutely is playing their part and making sure others are looked after. It is it is that instinct, isn't it? It is community. Um, thank you, Fatima. Right, we're going to open up this time of Q&A. So if you've got questions, guys, 
fire them, fire them, fire them in the Q&A bit. If you want to jump on call, raise your hand, we will, we will come to you. Um, this is from Eileen from Scotland. I'm not going to attempt my Scottish accent, so don't worry, I, I will save you of that. Um, Eileen is asking to Matteo, why are social media companies not doing enough to stamp out fake news? Why are social media companies not doing enough to stamp out fake news? This could be a conspiracy to go on days, really, couldn't it? So what, what's your thoughts? Um, I, partly because they haven't been held to account in any way, shape or form up until recently. Um, unlike media companies or um, TV companies or, or, or newspapers where they have regulators, social, media's account, social media companies are kind of in this weird space where they are, they're not classed as publishers, so therefore they're not yeah. responsible for what goes on their platform. Um, and at the same time, they're so big and have so many users, then it becomes quite uh, quite hard to see well, which law and jurisdictions they come under. Uh, that is changing, though. So Facebook is dumping a lot of money in supporting uh, fact-checkers. So for example, their, their fact-checker in the UK is Full Fact, for instance, and they are reviewing and actively taking down a lot of um, conspiracy theories and false news and all this kind of stuff. They're taking it down off of Facebook. Twitter has done the same. They're removing a lot of um hate uh, orientated profiles you know things that have been spewing like misinformation and garbage for ages they're now blocking them removing them from their platform um mm. instagram hasn't been so much of an issue but they're, they're obviously owned by facebook so they're operating the same way so social medias are are taking note um, the issue isn't so much those platforms though the problem with misinformation and false news is actually the closed social media network so we're talking about whatsapp telegram uh, skype um all those ones where you can't actually see it you know there's the random whatsapp messages that you get i mean jermaine talked about having a library full at one point uh, you know like that's the main issues and those are the main propagators which is why actually a lot of people that um actually share these um conspiracy theories and misinformation tend to be from an older generation um, you know, the ones that have access to those kind of platforms and use those platforms more regularly than, say, young people who veer towards more Instagram and whatever else. So yeah. they, they haven't done for a while because they, they didn't have to and governments haven't forced them to. Um, but now they are. Um, there's even a white paper going through, I believe it was um, DC, DCMS or whatever, that is talking about how the UK government can start regulating these platforms um, in a mm. way to start to deal with this issue. So they haven't for a while, but now, now things are definitely changing. Yeah, amazing. And as the first poll proved, you know, it was really good to see that loads of people are checking the sources, they are checking where the information is coming from. Um, so yeah, great tip, great, great tip. Keep on doing that, folks. We've also got a call on the line. Sophie, can we go to Sophie next? Hey. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Sophie, let us know where you're from and let us know your question. So I'm from Preston. In Northwest. So I've got like two questions, kind of. So the first one is um, this afternoon at like two o'clock on the news, they said that um, doctors aren't having to go and visit um, the death of patients and they could just be writing on death certificates that they've died of COVID 19, even if they haven't been seen, even if they haven't like seen them. And mm -hmm. my other question is um, carrying on from the social media is do we think that it's having a negative impact on young? people's mental health or is it a good thing that we've got something to keep us entertained and I keep seeing people doing all these templates and stuff on the Instagram story so just quite interesting just to get to know these people who you don't know like or don't know yeah. very well um so yeah 
perfect. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you Thank so you. much. And um, I'm going to give Phil the question around, um, yeah, how do we hold people accountable for what is going on when we're not in the room, especially if that is the case, if doctors and people are, are signing things that aren't true. Um, and then I'm going to come to Jermaine and just know, how do you strike that balance between meeting people online, which I'm sure you do all the time, and how do you weigh up character through an online, you know, screen portal sort of thing? Um, so thank you. That was Sophie's questions. Um, Phil, I'll come to you first, if that's okay. Yeah, um, I'll do the last bit of a question first and then the first bit. Sure. Do you think if we didn't have social media, we didn't have platforms like this, can you imagine I know. how stressful and difficult it would be? You know, fighting over a single family um, phone, which was part of my childhood, would, and that being your only outlet to the outside world. Um, so I think for all of the faults of social media and for all of the challenges we've talked about, I, you know, it, it can deliver that support that um, keeps well-being going. On the direct question though around death certificates, it isn't that a GP at the, basically a, any professional within the health system or the emergency services can ring a GP and, and, and effectively um, sign, sign the death certificate virtually. So yeah. it, it, there's such pressure on the health system, there's such pressure on GPs that you can now, there's a team in London that's essentially made up of um, police, um, uh, London Ambulance, uh, and they've got a direct relationship with GPs, and it's effectively them that are allowed to say, we think this person has died of COVID-19, but the GP doesn't come out, have to come out and sign that off. But it's still, um, there was a bit of a concern at the start that it would be lead to under-reporting of COVID, right. but it is purely around, it is not that you will never get the death certificate or you'll never get the cause of death, but I can completely see how people could see that. Uh, and that, that sense that maybe that their, their family member was not being treated with the respect that they deserved. Mm, yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sophie, I hope that helps as well. Um, Jermaine, just real quick before we um, take another poll, just wanted to know, how do you weigh up good character online? I think that is something, as much as we are so thankful for technology, we are meeting people and, and connecting with people. So yeah, any top tips for young people to be safe online? Yeah. We need to be mindful when we are online, um, especially at a time like this when everyone wants to connect. I don't know if anyone, any of the panelists or in the audience has ever been on house party, but you know when you leave the room unlocked and then someone just <laughs> joins, <laughs> you have no idea who they are. And it's about how do you be mindful of that? Um, and it, it, there, there are a lot of online uh, services um, and information and sources out there that you can look at about how to, how to be weary and, and be mindful on using online um, platforms like house party yeah. but then on the other side of the coin social media is a great way to support those who are suffering from from mental health during this time whether it's anxiety or depression um and and what those feelings might invoke i know i know yeah. for a fact uh, one of my friends um while in lockdown it's triggering him because it reminds him of when he was sexed years ago that sense of isolation not being being told you can't go out or the fear of seeing mm. things on the news and how much anxiety or depression it might make you feel or, or even being isolation and loneliness um so again things like house party where i can have a conversation with him and facetime talking to him just checking up on him making sure that he's okay um, and connecting with family members and friends just checking in on them and those things that we can do um and instagram live following appropriate instagram pages um, I do this workout every morning at 11 o'clock. One of my friends who lives in Manor House, 
goes on Instagram live every day at 11 o'clock and does a workout and I do it as well. So there's great initiatives being set up, um, partly because I need to lose the weight that I'm gaining now. Uh, <laughs> but there's great initiatives that have been set up. I just want to come back quickly to the PPE question. And um, You'll have to be super that, quick. We're going to take a poll and also, um, yeah, go for it. I'll be super quick. Coronavirus, yes, it, it's not preventable, but it could have been, we could have been more prepared for it. Three years ago, the, the NHS went through an outbreak test and they failed. The government should have then properly funded it. And the government should have probably funded the NHS from years ago, but they didn't. Instead of spending yeah. 200 billion on nuclear weapons and defense, and actually the biggest killer is going to be a virus and we should be spending it on science and medical innovation yeah yeah no thank you thank you for that and and on jermaine's point um we're gonna clap for our carers at eight o'clock so we're gonna finish at five minutes to eight um and take our next poll so we did at the beginning um a poll around young people and what worries you most about covid19 so hopefully it'll pop up on your screen um but to end on a really positive note i just wanted to ask the panelists for a top tip or something that they've done or maybe they've got into baking or found a skill that they never even knew they had dur during this time of lockdown or something some yeah something positive or a piece of advice they could share with young people who've locked in um and as we wait for these results to come in i will kick things off with mateo mateo could you give us your top tip or piece of advice um during this season during the season um my top tip is something that i've um been doing and i'm actually kind of enjoyed is um, creating quizzes and bringing people together to do quizzes uh, together. So I did it with um, my family, I've done it with my friends, I've done it with um, my co-workers throughout the UK, the place I worked. Um, and it's great and you learn a load of new things. Um, it's a great way of having <laughs> fun. Um, it's time consuming, uh, but it is good. Um, that's something that I've enjoyed. And for the love of God, try and enjoy some sun. Obviously for the allotted hour that the government says, but um, go outside because I spent about two weeks where I haven't left the house. Um, mm -hmm. And the moment I stepped outside, it was like, I don't know, it's like stepping outside into freedom. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so do at least a little bit of exercise a day, maybe just stepping outside for a little bit and then coming back, obviously. Um, yeah, amazing. I think we need to do a quiz master, like something on the news or something, because I think a lot of people have become quiz masters overnight and I love it. That's really good. Um, thank you. Fatima, next, I'd love to know, have you got a top tip or a piece of advice for young people during this time? Um, one, one call to action is definitely use this time. All the things that we've been talking about are such valid, valid questions, challenges and criticisms of people who are handling this crisis. So write it down, pen your thought and make sure that when we do weather this crisis that you are telling the people um, how you felt, you are, you are holding our leaders to account because that's really, really important. You know, for yourself, write a journal, use this as a moment to reflect and inflect because I can guarantee you the world as we know it has changed and it won't be going back the way um, to the way we, used, we were, were used to it. So apologies, something is happening outside. Um, <laughs> sorry, oh my God. Um, that's completely thrown me off. And, and the other thing that, that I've been doing, so call to action, make sure you write down all your thoughts. And the one thing that I've been doing that's been really, really helping me is I have been reading tons and tons of things. So just gathering knowledge for all the students who are off school and don't have coursework or can't do exams, you still can't, you still can learn, read, read books you know, Kindles, Amazon books, all of these things that you can read online. It doesn't have to be news. And really, watch less news. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. 
So <laughs> no, I love them. I love that tip. Yeah, read as much as you can. Who knows when we'll get as much time like this ever again, you know? So it's definitely a, a good opportunity to do some reading. Um, Phil, we want to know before we go over to our poll um, answers, Phil and Jermaine, um, Phil, give us some top tips or maybe some advice that you found really helpful during this time for young people. I like Fatima's tip about reading and a lot of councils have online free libraries. So mm. I know you've been... You still need to be online, but you don't need to be buying the books. You don't need to um, have a Kindle and things like that. There are loads of online materials that are free. And um, I've just joined one of those. Hackney's got, I think, 11,000 different resources online that anyone mm. can access. Um, I think the journal idea is really important. Um, mm. I've realised I've stopped um, writing in my, sort of my journal kind of over Easter, and I feel a bit lost. I'm like, well, yeah. what, what, you know... It, marking those moments where you do and achieve something and the questions you've got for the day ahead it's not something i've done for a long long time i used to live by kind of thinking my twitter was my journal but actually just a place for yourself you know start a google doc start uh, even just email yourself make sure yeah. you because days can just go i think a lot of people that are in lockdown are like what day is it yeah for sure and making sure that, that you know the weekend is different than the weekday especially for young people um, yeah. you're allowed to kind of step away and, and have that break time I suppose the, the last bit I think Fatima's right what type of world do you want to build mm. Um, mm. There's, uh, people want to go back to normality but that isn't the same as going back to the society that was already broken before we went into lockdown yeah buzz um, buzz if you're watching tweet that tweet that now you'll get thousands of retweets oh I love that bar Thank you, Phil. Thank you so much. Um, love, but certainly not least, Jermaine, have you got any top tips, fun stories, or any advice you'd share with young people during this time? Gaining more knowledge, upskilling has um, really been spoken about. But one thing that I have to say, rest. Mm. So a lot of us, we know that we're always on the go. We're nonstop, 24-7. One thing that I realised that I love so much is my bed. And I'm just going to <laughs> myself up for not having anything to do and just wanting to crawl up in bed and just sleep. And if it's two o'clock in the afternoon, just rest. Rest. Mm, yeah. That's quite radical, you know, in this generation to just stop and rest. And um, guys, thank you so much. The poll um, answers have come in. 30% um, of people who say the thing that worries them most about COVID-19 is people close to me who are at risk. Yeah, we're definitely community orientated there. 16% say the strain on the NHS um, and a big 25% people say, yeah, economic crisis as well. Um, mental health definitely falls into those categories. So, um, yeah, perfect, perfect answers. Thank you so much for everyone who's logged in. Um, we're going to finish on um, two minutes. Um, just to say thank you to all of our amazing, amazing panellists. Um, Matteo, thank you so much for chopping up the fake news and giving us them gems on how to spot real news as well. So, yeah, a good tip from him is to check the source of those articles. Um, Fatima giving us all things leadership, the good and the bad, and noting this, um, yeah, how we can make sure that we're, we're playing our part. Um, Mayor of Hackney, man. I mean, my God, what a guy. Real top guy, Phil. Thank you so much for just the way that you're really bridging the gap between those at the top and those on the on the ground level and just playing your part. You are so, so amazing. Um, and Jermaine Jackman, man, we had a question, you know, someone said, will Jermaine sing for us tonight? We've got a minute. <laughs> oh, um, 
like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Oh, thank you, man. What that's better way to say invoice, thank you? I get right <laughs> yeah, invoice. That's him. invoice. Uh, Mete, really, he's really, he's really him. Um, thank you. This is quarantine question time. This is a platform from my life, my say, to bring young people together to unpack COVID nineteen and understand how it affects us. It will be every Thursday, six thirty p.m. Um, we'll do we'll be doing special sessions from all your questions. So if you haven't had your question answered, don't worry. We will get round to you. We'll see you next Thursday, six thirty. Don't forget to clap for your carers. Eight o'clock, get outside, clap away. We want to say thank you to our special guests and to everyone locked in. Thank you and good night.